This conference will now be recorded. Sure. Well, welcome. Let Marie grab a I'll chair. I'll grab a chair. Uh, it's, and sorry, we're a couple minutes late. It's the wonderful life of um, business ownership that we're suffering. Marie and I were both on two different calls with two different sets of problems. Unfortunately, in our business, when it goes wrong, it really goes wrong. And it all goes wrong in the same day. But um, I, I think usually we've done a few of these calls and I mean, feel free to ask any questions, but I mean, we'll just give you a little, a quick background about our story and how we ended up here. Um, Maria and I were both in the corporate world. Um, we've owned our citywide franchise. It'll actually be five years at the end of this month since we opened. Um, my background is um, I've been in project management and strategy work in the financial services industry. I worked for Prudential, Deutsche Bank, um, Accenture, um, and last corporate job was with um, AIG and the global role. I was doing a lot of travel. It was my job to find out how to cut expenses and lay people off, and I hated it. So, you know, when my time was up at AIG, I decided that I wanted to, you know, start a business on the side and stay in the corporate world. But then what happened to me is I discovered as I started to look at business opportunities, I had no interest in going back to corporate. Um, so I stumbled across the citywide opportunity and it was just something that resonated with me. And um, when I came home and told Marie about it, she got excited about it. And that's kind of how we ended up here. But Marie, I'll let you share your background. Yes, yeah, so um, more years that I care to share with anybody, but also came in, coming out of the corporate space, um, you know, working with companies like Citigroup, AIG. My last um, employer was, uh, I worked as a management consultant for Ernst & Young, EY, um, working in um, the human resources uh, practice division. Um, and uh, I actually joined the business, uh, was it two or three years? Two years in. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a funny thing because Tom always tells the story. Um, Troy, please don't, please forgive me, but I wanted to buy a spa. <laughs> <laughs> you, hey, you still can. You still Toilets. can. I love it now. <laughs> It's recession proof. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah. And that that really really is it. It's been an, an amazing business for us. Um, you know, I think about, yeah, Marie mentions the spy. I think about if we'd ended up in an opportunity. We have friends that did open up businesses like that and they suffered during the pandemic. Whereas I always felt guilty when we talked to people that were suffering. I mean, it was our best. Well, it was our best year ever, but then last year was even better than that year. So it keeps getting better. But um, it was a phenomenal opportunity. And one of the things that amazed us is, again, our revenue went off the charts with um, all of the disinfecting we were doing. But even after that died down with all the client relationships we had made, we filled it with other kinds of work, doing renovations for buildings. And geez, I mean, we're just kind of all over the board on different types of work. Um, Primarily in our marketplace, we work with a lot of distribution centers and warehouses. Um, where we're located in central New Jersey is kind of the mecca for that, for the tri-state area and um, into New York. Um, we work a lot of car dealerships. We're starting to get into more medical facilities. Schools. Schools, private schools is another one that we found success with. Um, but really what we've enjoyed the most is just the opportunity to, you know, build a business, again, small business, we are like, like as I've mentioned before, I'm not a lover of the corporate world. I don't like how they treat people. Um, and having your own business and being able to build the kind of culture and environment, you know, that that's rewarding for people and that they want to be a part of is something that was important to us. And then you hear about citywide all the time with the whole, you know, ripple effect. And again, it's one of the things that's amazed us is that I look at some of the independent contractors to start it out with us that, you know, there's one, he's actually our top guy now. He came in in a t-shirt and Marie wouldn't work with the guy at first. And she kept passing him up and passing him up and finally gave this guy a chance. And to see his lifestyle and his family's lifestyle has completely changed because of working with us. That has been one of the most amazing things about this opportunity. So that's a little bit about us. What, I mean, what questions do you have? What can we, what can we tell you about Citywide? Hey, Tom, my name is John Holliger, and um, I'm with the um, 
Delaware uh, acquisition that we're going to make real soon if uh, all the big guys give us approval. And uh, so I'm a um, analytical guy too. And uh, so metrics, I'm interested in metrics. So I know cash is a big metric, uh, margins and all that. What other things do you measure for your people? Uh, we call them in the healthcare industry, key performance indicators. So what are some of the indicators that you measure to make your outcomes predictable? How, 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 talk to me about those things. Sure, I, I think if you start on the, the sales end, you're really looking at sales activity. Um, and it's, without getting into long details, the way we ran our business before is Marie really was responsible for operations and I managed the financials and sales. We just recently, as of in last month, started to switch that around where now Marie is gonna move fully into sales and I'm going to take care of the operations piece, just that we found it was a better match for skill sets. Um, but if you start out with sales, the number one, the one, number one key performance indicator is sales activity. You've got to talk to enough people to get an opportunity. Because the interesting thing about our business is if I call you today, you may not care. I call you tomorrow, you may not care. But I happened to call you the next day, and guess what? The cleaners didn't show up. It had snowed yesterday. There's salt all over the place. The bathrooms are dirty. And all of a sudden, now you want to talk to me. But to get those opportunities, you got to make enough reach outs, you know, either emails, phone calls, dropping into buildings to build those relationships. Um, the, the, and, you know, following with sales is, you know, again, you want activity that's going to lead to a number of um, building surveys that leads to number of proposals, and then ultimately to a close ratio. Um, on the operations side, you're gonna be measuring retention. I mean, I, I'll look, I'll admit it, that the worst screw up that we had in retrospect was our operations we struggled with in the beginning. Um, and I can't even really explain to you why, but we did and we lost, I think in our second year, we lost as much business as we wrote in our first year. So um, that was, you know, you can't grow if you keep losing what you bring in. Um, so it took us a while, but we fixed that. And now I think, you know, metrics wise, we're up there among the, I guess, the top quartile of citywide offices in, in retention. Um, you, but, you know, retention is a key metric. But then the other thing, and, it, and it's funny because it impacts retention. And if you really have looked at the citywide model, this whole thing about the NJS or the non-janitorial services or all the other stuff besides janitorial we do, you know, it's an add-on service, but to me, it's also a re uh, retention play because I have to tell you, we are not losing customers that we do a lot of other stuff for. Any clients that we lose tend to be ones that we were just the cleaners to them and that was it. But I got to tell you, the, the guy that we're cleaning, who's where, whose forklift driver hit an electrical panel, and we had someone out to fix it in 30 minutes, or the um, my favorite one is the the building that called Marie up because they needed a lactation room because um, somebody was expecting. I'm glad Marie got that call and not me. I don't know how I would have handled that one. Um, what the uh, well, we got a phone call. What to remove some hazardous chemicals that the company didn't even know what was in these drums they had been sitting in their parking lot for, for years. When we're doing all of those kinds of work and projects for them, if we missed a trash can one night, they're not firing us because of that. Um, so, so just getting back to that concept of key performance metrics, it's that upsell, it's that additional revenue. It's critical because yeah, it impacts your bottom line, but it also is gonna help your retention. So th those would be the uh, key. And I guess one last key one is for our account managers or facility solutions managers is just measuring them on how often they visit the clients. Um, the, the largest client, we have them visit every week, the typical size every other week and the small ones, maybe once a month they check in with them. But you wanna make sure those visits are happening because it's, staying, it's that relationship with the client that also helps with your retention and also creates the upsell opportunities. One, one, one quick follow-up question. That sounds real good, Tom. Um, the other question that I would ask is, do you benchmark or have you benchmarked since you have five years of history expectations? So I understand that there's some numbers that you're looking to get, but do you know how, how do you know if you're in a high hill or a low valley? Like, so based on your prior uh, experiences, how do you or have you benchmarked some of these expectations so that you know 
If you get 10 of these a day, you can expect that out of those 10, you're going to get a 30% hit rate, and that's going to equate to a certain amount of um, a positive experience. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's pretty, it's reasonably predictable. I do think it varies a bit by geography, but actually CityWide has to tool just, for example, for sales that um, you can kind of program in your activity that will lead out to your dollars of sales. And it has some assumptions built into it that we've had to fine tune in our market. And it could be a combination of our market, the skills and experiences of our sales team, but um, it, it puts you in the ballpark of where you expect to come out of. I mean, in terms of just general benchmarking, that's the beauty of being in a franchise system. You know, you've got all these other offices that you can benchmark yourself against. And how Marie and I personally benchmark is we benchmark ourselves geographically because definitely, I mean, ourselves and the other New Jersey, New York offices feel like we deal with a slightly different beast than everyone else here. But we also bench our, benchmark ourselves with offices that opened about the same time as us. So the guys that are like, mm -hmm. you know, are like six, four to six years old, you know, we're looking at their metrics all the time and <laughs> looking at ours just to say, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. we, we, we sh should be. And then we actually, although we love to hang out with the really big boys that have knocked it out of the park and, you know, the top five or six offices, the ones that we really get the most benefit of talking to are the ones that are a couple years ahead of us because, you know, it's it's funny. When you call one of the top offices and you call up one of the owners and ask them a, ask them a question, they go, hmm, I really don't know. I'm going to have to call my director of operations or, hey, can you call my sales manager and ask him that? I, I don't know. You know, they're, they're kind of removed from it. But the guys that are just a couple years ahead of you, they may be a bit removed, but they still remember. They're still burning and right. they still remember right. the pain. So they're able to very much kind of paint the picture for you of the next moves that you need to make. And for, for us, we're at a, a very critical point for us. The five-year mark is really kind of the place where I don't I think it's true for citywide and I think it's true for most small businesses. It's kind of the place in which either you kind of get to the point you're at and kind of languish there, or you just really take off like a rocket ship because you've reached both, you know, A, you have the experience, B, you reach the level of scale in your market, and you know, you know what you're doing now. So things start to click. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thank sure. you. Hi, Tom. Kevin Donnelly. I'm looking at uh, Philly, uh, Northeast okay. Philly. Um, yeah, so you're five years in. How do you? How does your staff compare from day one to now? Oh my God! You know, talk about staffing, man. That's like the the one that. The, I mean, that's why, like Marie and I, if we look horrible on here, it's because we're we're suffering right now because um we lost an account manager the end of December. And then our, our other manager, he went on paternity leave a week early. So we're, we're kind of suffering right now. <laughs> um, but in terms of staffing, um, I guess, can you be more specific about your question? When you opened, what, who, you know, what did you start with? How many, how many people? Gotcha. And where are you at today? I mean, how much have you grown staff-wise to year five? So we started out with, it was me full-time and a sales executive. Marie was moonlighting from a corporate job, um, which as she you know, said before, she did for a couple of years and then she was just really unhappy. And although we could not afford it to have her come into the business full-time, we did it anyway, because at that point we realized we jumped off a cliff once and we survived, we can do it again. So now, I mean, we really are in, in some ways fearless in both a good and bad way. <laughs> And Kevin, I will add that in terms of staffing or support, we we have the benefit of leaning on um, leaning on Kansas City for things like cold calling, right? right? We yeah, we had we had the benefit of leaning on them from an accounting standpoint, right? right? So instead of having to go out, post that ad, find someone. We had a ready-made system where they could come in and pick up and help us as we're learning the business. So what are you at today? I mean, how many, you said you had two sales managers, obviously one, you got issues with them, but various, but what do you, you know, one out, one, 
temporarily out. Um, but like, how many other managers and whatnot do you have? So, our, so our staffing right now, we're about in the twenty-something people, and that's wow. partially because we. It's a bit business, a bit misleading because we have about, um, I'm going to say about 16 or so. Maybe my count is off here. I have to, I have to stop and think about this for a second. But we actually have um, an in-house operation because we acquired a local cleaning company our second year. I would not recommend anyone do that, you know, that early into their citywide lives. I mean, it worked for us, but we suffered for a long time because of it. So we have some in-house employees. When we, in the beginning, there were like 75 of them, but we've dwindled it down to like, you know, maybe about 12 or 15, something like that now. But but see, if you put that to the side, our, our office makeup, or Marie and I, we have an office manager. We have um, our two facility solutions managers. Again, one of those is vacant, a sales executive, uh, we've been recruiting for a second sales executive. Um, we have a sales associate that handles, well, this person's in a dual role. The sales associate, they help with manage our CRM and do our data crunching for new accounts. And they also help with our independent uh, contractor recruiting and manage our social media. Okay. Um, we have a business development specialist or cold caller. Um, and then for our part-time, we have a full-time night manager we call him day manager because he works during the day because we have several daytime accounts and then we have um we have three night managers currently and then we have one in-house specialist who's again a member of our in-house um he does like uh strip and wax jobs and carpet cleans and special projects for us okay thank you I'll go again then. Yeah. <laughs> so how about um, your mix between corporate and non-corporate, or national and, and uh, regular accounts? Okay, so, you know, in, I'm just doing quick math here. Um, less than, yeah, not, I would say maybe 8% 8 of our, our, our monthly contract revenue is, um, national accounts. Okay. Um, we, and it's a, it's a funny thing, and I'm going to be honest about that with you. Is the the national accounts are very in sitting in your seats now, which we were once were in. It was very appealing, and we kind of looked at it and said, "Oh, look at all these national accounts that are here locally. We're going to focus on those. We're going to hit that out of the park." Man, I think we got one our first couple of years. <laughs> Um, we just we just really got no traction with the national accounts in our market. It came later. We've done a ton of um, non-janitorial business with the uh, XPO logistics chains. I mean, Marie is like a star with them. The national people at XPO know her locally and we'll call her directly for stuff. Um, but it was very low traction for us. Now, mm -hmm. other markets have had some pickup with national accounts in their area. But I got, I got to tell you, coming into it, you can't count on it. I do think over time, as you build your business, it's something you can definitely leverage. Um, our, we didn't, I don't think we had a lot of business from National last year, but we did get one big one with um, J.B. Hunt, which is about $25,000 a month for us. Um, and then maybe we had a couple other small opportunities with National. Um, but again, you can't, you can't count on that. At least starting out, but it, it's good. It's good to have the relationships, though. Thank you. Now, if there's if there's a new uh, some new franchise candidates, uh, don't be afraid to ask. I know we have several that are first timers or second timers on this call. Uh, you know, Tom and Marie are here to to help. So uh, please ask those questions. I want to, Tom. It's Rob Obrey calling uh, or talking. I'm uh, calling in from uh, up north in, in Canada, Ottawa, um, not too far from New Jersey, but but I guess the, a little bit of a plane ride. <laughs> um, you get the snow before us a lot of times. Um, it just keeps coming up. But um, 
One of the things that I'm I'm uh, trying to understand is the uh, services because um, I, I come from more of a sales background, so I, I kind of have an understanding how how to well, well what my plan would be if I got started. But the services, how how much does Citywide help you with that? Like the fine, you know, uh, um, I think David's told me there's maybe 20 or some services that you can um you know do, do for buildings um do, do, did you have to go out and make all those relationships and convince people hey i'm gonna i'm gonna bring in the revenue you you, you may lose 10 percent or whatever whatever margin you know whatever margin they might give up because you're bringing them the business but how much time did you have to put on that and i, I imagine you're still putting time on that yeah I, you know i'm i'm i it I think I'm following your question because really it's not so much the clients you're asking about working with the independent contractors. Yeah. Getting the contractors, yeah. right. You got to go and search the better contractors that are going to do a good job. And, and, and those that are interested to not go directly to the client, but uh, you know, source through you. Yeah. That, that Robertson easily one. It, it sucks in the beginning. It sucks in the middle and it continues to suck as long as YouTube is business. It's a, it's a right. challenge especially starting out um and again i think it depends and, and especially where, where you are when you're starting out where no one knows your name we're the first office in new jersey no one had heard of citywide and getting people to work with us i mean it, i won't lie it was a big challenge for us but one thing that we saw more on, over time was is people started to see our name more and then some of the other offices opening in the area it just kind of put the citywide name out more on the internet, more on social media, and and people that hadn't worked with us at first eventually came back. Also, too, one of the things that that we've been blown away by is um is starting to get contractors from our existing pool of contractors because they're happy they refer people in to to work with us. And sure, Robert, I, I will I, I will add a couple of things. Number one. The independent contractors, contractors we had year one and two, we have no idea where they are. We no longer have them. So picture um, uh, an excited group of people opening up their doors. You got somebody who wants you, who wants to work with you to clean a building. And you have no idea. I mean, we all have pretty extensive backgrounds. We're walking in. I got this. I could spot it a mile away. And the independent contractor pretty much sucks, right? And you find out based on what they're not doing at night, you tend to find out at 7.30 in the morning when the client is calling you, right? The, the, the arch of identifying independent contractors is going to be based solely on the questions that you ask them. So for example, people will come to me and say, you know, I'm pretty seasoned. I'm an awesome, I'm an excellent cleaner. Um, I have I have an account that I'm doing. And then I say to them, how long have you had the account? They tell me one month. So let me just tell you that maybe they're good, but that's not someone you want to hang your hat on for a bigger account, right? I would say, quite frankly, it's easier to find what they call the NJS contractor, the contractor that is not focused on janitorial, than it is to find the janitorial services contractor. You have to go through, and, and so people say, the, 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 the first five years, you're gonna change over ICs, and then they say, the ICs that you think are rock stars now, I have a board of my top guys, I can send them in, I don't even need to, check in. I know they're going to do the right thing. They have my eye, right? They might not be around in two years from now because as the clients change, um, the dynamics change, what people expect changes as we pretty much elevate our game, we're going to need to identify people that can uh, move and grow with us in that particular space if that makes sense. Yeah, no, thanks. That, that was, uh, well, yeah, it was a good good explanation. Thanks. Yeah, and the part about like the margin, especially with the non-janitorial contractors, 
you know, it, we always, I mean, Marie and I adopted the philosophy a long time ago. When we start out with, with a new client, yeah, we will not push as hard on margins. And same thing, maybe even with a new contractor, we won't beat them down as much on price, but we'll do a couple jobs with them and then they'll see the potential of working with us. And then it gets, it's all downhill after there, after that, it gets very easy with them. Right. Okay. So the, you, you're, you're making, uh, if you're able to show them that you'll keep them uh, full-time busy, I guess, then you'll, you'll have a better opportunity to, to, to build some better margin on, oh, yeah. on, and, on, and look, on and their some work. Of these, and going back to like the whole thing about national accounts, there's some accounts that the local guys really would not be able to get into on their own that we're, we're able to. And, and it shows like I'm doing a, a it's like $75,000 right. renovation for a warehouse, like redoing bathrooms and doing something to the HVAC. And, you know, Maria just done a similar project a little while ago. And then we had another client ask us for it. So, you know, this contractor is like in, in love with us now because we keep sending, sending them work. That probably the bigger challenge is right. you think you have all the contractors you need and then somebody calls you up and they want something that you've never heard of before. And now, but you, you always say yes, you can do it, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh, find the contractor after. <laughs> I, I will testify. Absolutely. Marie has come into my office and said, "Hey, I have a job to do blah blah blah," and then she'll pause and go, "What exactly is that?" <laughs> yeah. But it gets done, and we deliver, and that's what they're half the times. The general manager themselves are not sure of where to go and who to talk to. So the beauty of dealing with our um, our business, our brand, is that they don't have to worry about that, right? That's our problem to solve and fix. And as far as they're concerned, as long as the task is met, they're good. So. Right, right, right. Now, I want to make a comment that is something that we've had improvement on since Tom and Marie started. I mean, when they were there five years ago, our national account volume, and they can share with you, was pretty small. Today, it's 19%, which is a night and day what it was when they started um, as franchisees. It's like a little bit different world. It's a huge change that we've made. Uh, Kevin Donnelly, for example, is looking at Philadelphia uh bridge force and he has 47 national accounts that are waiting for him in that territory could you make a comment on you know what 47 national accounts could mean for somebody uh since i know you have knowledge of what the average you know sales are and in, in, in for national accounts so i mean i would say that i'll use the like what we now they're GXO at the old XPOs as an example. One building, that one building. Once you got, you were able to build that relationship. It was definitely no longer about janitorial for them, right? They have that going. We've put in day porters there. We've Tom's mentioned we've redone bathrooms. We built out a conference room for them. And they all connect and they all talk, right? And the fact that it's a national account, there's a certain level of trust that the client gets knowing that we're dealing with XPOs across the country. Um, so, you know, from a national standpoint, that was a really good one that, that we acquired. And, you know, and again, you have the system, you have the network to bounce things off of, right? When when uh, a new system or something is deployed brand new within the GXO world, we can reach out to our counterparts. When COVID hit, we were able to reach out to our counterparts and figure out that some of the XPOs can pay quicker than other enti entities. So, there's a lot that you can certainly get out of the national account. And that's one that I'm, you know, I'm still reaping the benefits of that. It's just, it's endless. It's endless. Hello, Tom. Uh, hi, Hello. Maureen, Tom. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, whoever that was. That, that, that's me. That's me, Tosh. Okay. Go ahead. Hey, hey, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to get 
in the conversation very early. I was going between going from my phone to my PC. So now I'm here. So I'm excited to be here. Um, I, I heard um, a lot of what you said in the beginning. There may be some things that I missed. So I apologize if I ask a question that has already been asked and you guys have answered. Um, so you guys have been uh, operating for about five years. As it relates to percentages, where are you with your NJS versus JS? This year. Last year, where did we take in? I mean, when you say, we, you threw me a little bit. When you say percentages. Right, of work or of uh, revenue. Oh. Percentage, I think. Yeah, last year was, it was a bit of an anomaly for us. Um, we were really heavy on our NJS last year. Um, I want to say we did probably about a third. I'm just actually going back to look here. You have to forgive me. It's been, we had a new account start that didn't start so well. And it's been, you know, I'm getting updates from the other side of the monitor here as we talk. Um, no but yeah, our, our actual, I'm just looking at our financials from last year. Um, our NJS as a percent of our JS was about 48% last year. Um, but we did a lot of big jobs that that threw it. Um, but I don't know. I think really, actually, I'm going to take that statement back. I think a big part of that was Marie just sells the hell out of NJS. Um, she did a good chunk of that on, you know, the business we did. We did about um, 1.3 million in NJS last year. Oh, Marie, she's commenting. She says, yeah, I guess, yeah, you, know, you did more than half of that. I'll give you credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did on her own. I did some, and then our other account manager did did some. Um, but I guess the, the reason why you hear the, the hesitation from me on that is the year before last, our NJS was a big number because of all the electrostatic disinfecting that we had done. I did not expect our NJS number to be so high last year since a lot of that work went away. But what happened was we found all this other stuff to do that filled in the void. So as I planned my budget this year, I was kind of, I, I'm curious to see this the percentage remain as high. If we just really figured out that market or do we have a lot of big jobs that maybe we won't get this year? I still think we'll we'll grow it, but I mean, who knows? Maybe we've really found out how to, to work that, that end of the spectrum. Um, the, the other piece, that makes me hedge a little bit on that statement is um, our janitorial business grew slower than we anticipated last year. We came in budget-wise within a couple thousand of where what we what our budget was for the year in terms of new sales, but it all came towards more or less towards the second half of the year. Um, here in New Jersey, a lot of buildings hadn't reopened yet. Um, we had made a mistake and we had really focused heavily on those buildings, thinking that they would open at some point last year. And a lot of them just never did. Um, so what happened was towards as the year progressed, we ended up going back and focusing on our bread and butter market, the essential services like, you know, car dealerships, warehouses that are, you know, never really closed. Um, and then our business picked back up again. But that's that's actually great news. So that, that I mean, that's around 50 percent. That's great. Um, since I, I'm going to give in another question, because, again, I'm, I guess I'm being a little selfish here. Um, but I did hear, Tom, that you mentioned you guys had a renovation project that was happening or had already had happened in the past. Mm -hmm. Did you come in as a GC for that project? Or CM command? Well, yeah, we 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 are we actually have a GC that we bring in for projects like that. Um, okay. Smaller projects, we may act as a GC if there's a couple other contractors involved and do it. But for a really big project like that, we'll bring we'll bring in a GC. Right now, we have two GCs that we work with exclusively, um, okay. and it's been great because we're able to shift enough business between them. And, you know, some of our clients will want, you know, multiple bids. So we're able to provide that. Um, right. And really, both of them have grown, um, grown with us. So it's been great. 
Wow. Okay. So there's there's no maybe you know after five years is there a cap? If do you know when you're saying to yourself, okay, that project's too big, or if there's no project that's too big, you just got to get no the right such people. Thing. <laughs> I hear you, Maria. I knew you, you was coming with that in the you, back. I knew it. <laughs> it's like anything else, right? It's like anything else. I mean, it's you're you're coming in. If you're going to be on the upside as the FSM or the account manager, you're coming in and you are the project manager, right? And you're going to be bringing in um, the resources to get the job done. And you're the one that's going to be, you know, sort of managing the timeline. You're going to be um, working with the independent ca contractors on different aspects of the job. And mm -hmm. so it, it's really, in terms of management, it's the kind of thing that you end up managing holistically yourself, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I'm getting mm -hmm. one last thing. Go, go can I just add in there? Because no. uh, one thing, because Marie doesn't manage the financial side of it, the only thing that concerns me about that is cash flow, is because right. you can get caught in this little rift of you've got to pay your IC before you get paid by the client. So it's something that you have to, to always guard after. And again, you have controls over it. Um, either, you know, you're you're picking up a line of credit or right. um, you're keeping, you know, sufficient funds in the bank. Um, right. We tend to be very conservative about it. And especially during the pandemic, we like to have cash on hands uh, just so we, we don't ever have to worry about that. But right. it is something that, again, you've got to stay ahead of because weird things and it can, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It can just be a great opportunity comes along. No matter what happens, your contractor is going to be at your door on the 10th of the following month looking for that check. So it's one of those things where, and you know, look, you can manage their expectations too. You can say to them, listen, I got a job. It's probably going to be about 40 grand. It may take 60 days to pay out, right? The, the IC that partners well with you, that IC, you will be able to work on different things with them. There are times you need the seed money because then you could go back to the GM and say, now that you've approved the costs, we do need a portion of that as seed money, right? So it's a question of managing it. Each account is sort of different. And um, that cash flow issue is real um, because, you know, the bigger the project, the better, but they're going to come knocking on your door the 10th of every month. Yeah, you got to be able to support it. Um, I'm going to throw in one last one. I won't make a promise that it will be my last one, but I want to give everybody. <laughs> so do you conduct any non-tools type of work? And here's an example of that. Do you ever have a client that needs you, that need engineering support and you had to hire engineers? Do you ever have a client that wants you to do a facilities, con facilities condition assessment, an FCA, where that doesn't require a tool, but it does require a group of engineers? Do you ever conduct those type of projects also? Or do you shy we away? Have not done, we have not done that yet, but I've had to pull in um, really just architects, um, but we have not had, to do that yet, but that's a great idea. I mean, we can certainly sell it and win it and <laughs> start doing that. But uh, we have not had the opportunity to do something like that yet. I, my, my expertise, I, I have over 20 some years of the senior level of managing facilities. And I know one of the things that when I hear about the services that Citywide offers, great, but it would be nice if someone can come in and look at all these facility pieces and tell me how much is it gonna cost? <laughs> you know, and yeah. and how can I phase it in? You know, you knowing my financial budget client, um, just so just kind of wondering how, how does that how how has that ever played into your to your environment in New Jersey? Yeah. Like I said, we really haven't we really haven't hit that yet. And I mean, that sounds like an interesting back background yeah. that you have with that. Yeah. But you know, I just hope you're okay with cleaning toilets too. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yes, no, yeah. sir. Yeah. I know. I, I, so, you know, again, our biggest staff was about 108 people and half of that was housekeeping. And I'm that type of leader that, hey, slide over. Let me just roll my C's up too, because I'm all about building relationships. 
There's nothing yeah. different for myself and them except okay, maybe the salary, but I'm still a P I'm still I bleed just like everyone else does. So I've never had that problem. But 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 thanks yeah. for the um insight. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for the insight. Yeah. I appreciate it. I'm gonna move back a little bit and let some other folks get questions in. Okay. Yeah, hey Tom Marie, David calling from Ohio. First time Z call, so forgive me my ignorance on a couple of these questions real quick. What is MJS, real quick, just so I understand? MJS. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised Troy is probably on his cell phone or something because <laughs> no, I'm, Troy, I'm listening, we, Tom. I'm listening closely. No, because no, actually, I'd never really thought about it this way until Marie and I were in Kansas and we're talking to Troy about this. It, it is really a bastardized, backwards way that Citywide kind of looks at this because Citywide <laughs> started out as a janitorial company, then. Yep. Anything that wasn't janitorial was non-janitorial. So it's as Troy put it to us. It's just like, you know, if, if you started out with zebras, then all the other animals in the, the zoo are non-zebras. Non <laughs> I mean, so again, it's just more it's more of a way that citywide grew over time that it kind of gets broken out that way. But yep. you're right. And that probably is a way that when I puzzle and pause over how much success we've had with the non-janitorial work, it may in fact be nothing wrong with that. It's just, you gotta like look at where the opportunities are. And I think if you look by different citywide market, you're gonna see the types of non-janitorial services people are selling will be all over the board. And I think that's the so what combination. What portion of your business is janitorial then today? Um, well, okay. if, because I'll put it to you this way, just um, last year, our our total revenue was about 4.1 .1 million. And I guess uh, 2.8 of that was janitorial and 1.3 okay. or so was non-janitorial. Got it, got it. Now- All right, other so, question. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I was, I was just gonna say in, in the, the old way of looking at it, kind of your target was to be about about of have your non-janitorial be about 34% of your janitorial business. But that that expectation has changed just because again, people everyone's just not everyone, but a lot of offices are kind of blowing that away, kind of like we have. But to your to your point, like I said, just to go back to your 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 ask there was yeah, it is a bit of an artificial way of looking at it. At the end of the day, we offer a bunch of services. It's just the janitorial is kind of our lead-in offering. Um, we get more of our business starts out as a janitorial contract that we start to do other services for than companies we start doing other services for that become janitorial, if that makes sense. And the janitorial, when you think about it, it's really the glue, right? Um, in order mm -hmm. to get that other work, you need to be in there. Right. And you need to be in there and you need to show them that you need to be in the facility and you need to be close to your contact so that when the NJS comes along, you're the first person that they call. The other interesting thing about the non-janitorial is the reason that you need the janitorial side is because that pays out every single month. The end, your, yeah, the NJS, which is nice, it's coming in at a hundred grand or whatever. You get paid that once, and that's it. You got to move on to another project for them if you can get it. So really, that is our bread and butter. Hi guys, this is Kevin out of California. How are you? Hi Kevin. Um, yeah, I, I was just uh, to that point. Are there any NJS? services that are reoccurring that you yes. guys and which ones are they it, it, you know it's fun well i mean you can say things like carpet cleaning or you know like uh, stripping waxing your your vinyl floor bct flooring um but then you get oddball ones that you never would have thought about like uh, marie had a big project at one of her warehouses that um we needed to do high cleaning so we didn't have any ICs capable of this. So we just kind of on a whim decided to go and buy a high powered vacuum with a carbon fiber 40 foot reach poles. Um, it was, I, I forget what we paid for, it's like 3000 something, but I was kind of like this one job in rehab would pretty much you know pay for the machine. And so we've had this thing, we've used it a few times. 
And then we had this oddball job at a, all places. Uh, um, it's a uh, um, the sportsplex place. Like they have like indoor basketball, soccer courts, all of that. And I guess they have this netting that goes up so they can split it into sections. And the netting gets all dusty and dirty. And the uh, account was telling our facilities manager that, well, last time we got this clean, we brought in lifts and we had people steam clean and it took them a few days. And so we had the idea, well, let's try the vacuum. So we took it out there, it worked perfect. So our guy, we put one of our in-house people on it. He went, this project that had taken days, he did it in under three hours. And um, we talked to the uh, manager of the facility today and he said it was amazing. He goes, I forgot your guy was even there and he was done so quick with it. And so now that's going to turn into a quarterly service. Um, so again, it's just my example of there's plenty of NJS that can become recurring revenue. Okay, great. And have you found, it sounds like the NJS helps you keep accounts, um, but how important do you find it in the sales process early on, as someone that's looking at starting out, um, to get the JS accounts? Um, are, are people choosing Citywide because of all the extra things we can do? Um, or is that mainly just about being in the right place at the right time? No, I think I think it's definitely a competitive advantage. Um, a lot of um, businesses that see that. In fact, my sales exec always says when he sees their li eyes light up or they start asking questions about it, I mean, he he really, the, the odds of him closing that shoot up exponentially. Because um, it's, again, it's a value proposition. When it hits someone, you can tell. Like when you're sitting across from someone and you say, hey, uh, if your roof started leaking, who would you call uh, a roofing contract? Well, which one? Uh, I don't know. Well, how would you find one? I'd probably go to Google, read reviews. And then I throw out really oddball things. So what if this happened? Who would you call? I have no idea. How nice would it be to make one phone call? You know, all these problems that you have, you make one phone call and you have a guy that's right there that's going to figure this out and get it done. And for a lot of clients, that hits home. Now, there are other people, maybe they have people on staff, maybe they have, uh, you know, an in-house facility service. It's not as big a deal to them, but there are a lot of people that their eyes light up with it. And I got to tell you, they they use it. And then you begin to develop a relationship with them that transcends the service. Like I remember uh, Marie and I were on a Saturday morning. It was like seven in the morning. Her phone rings and it's the manager of one of the XPOs calling because he just found out that the, the big, you know, high level brass are coming in next week and he wants to get the place looking good. So he didn't have a specific ask for Marie. It was more like, what do you think we should do? How could we fix up this place? And that's where you see the relationship develop. We're, it's not even so much that we're trying to sell a service. It's just like, we're helping them with their business. It's like, Hey, you're, you know, you don't feel good about the way your business looks, but your freaking sign is falling off its hinges, you know, outside. We can replace that for you. You can, boom, done. It's, you know, that that's the real benefit that we deliver. Now we do have the, we do have some clients that are just janitorial only, but in my mind, when we go through our book of business, I always count those clients as, as at risk because we're just a cleaning company to them. The next, you know, guy that comes in 20% lower, they could replace us with, but it'll be hard to replace us if we're doing all this other stuff for them. Gotcha. Okay. Great. Thank you. You know, Hi, this is Marie and Tom. This is, this is um, Tosh Heiliger from um, Delaware. Um, I had a question in regards to your uh, sales executive. The, does, did the person that you start off with, is that person still with you? And is there anything that you can share with us in terms of uh, recruitment and, you know, uh, retention of sales executives? Yeah, you know, starting on this business, and again, I'll share a personal story. Uh, my best friend, we actually brought in to be our sales exec, which was a, which turned out to be an utter disaster. Um, because what happened because um he didn't work out and it ended up costing us the friendship which was hard because he was actually the best man and uh, marie and i was wedding and everything and if i had it to do all over again i never would have brought him into the business um but so lesson number one is don't bring friends and family into the business <laughs> number one 
Number two is you've got to really understand what a sales executive looks like for this position. And we really didn't. I mean, his background was more like car sales. So in, you know, in being a car salesman, you're kind of sitting there waiting for someone to walk in. Um, in our business, the sales executive has got to be a hunter. Like um, our sales executive's been with us. It'll be our current sales executive's been with us about three years now. And I mean, he's a hunter. He gets a kick out of finding a building, having no idea who runs it, and then going in and finding them, you know. Um, and it takes a lot. And it takes, you know, we joke about having the courage just to walk into some random building and start talking to people. And you've got to be fearless about that. Um, and it's a special kind of person. And that's probably the hardest position to recruit for, for Citywide. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Are you paying the salary? Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to just dive into that just a little bit. So the account executive there, are you paying base salary plus plus commission? Are they commission only? No, uh, base salary plus commission. Um, okay. I, I, I've heard and I know of offices who've tried, you know, just commission only. I don't think that has worked out too well for too many people. Um, I, I think it, it, you know, the reality is it takes a little bit of time to get, you know, your commission pipeline flowing um, in this business. Because, you know, if you think about it, um, your first phone call to a client, to a, to a prospect is unlikely to land the sale. It's probably more like your fifth or sixth or something like that. Um, contact with them that will spur the activity. So it takes a little bit of time to, to get going. So you need to have someone that's a hunter and has some level of perseverance. This is um, Tosh Heiliger again. What, what I was going to say was that um, Alan and John on the line, the three of us are, are partners, and Alan has um, some sales uh, experience. But when you talk about the uh, going out and, you know, being kind of a hunter and not so much uh, waiting for uh, someone to walk in or – uh, some of the work that Alan's done in his previous experience with some of the uh, customers, he's gone out to to get some work. We, what we've done is we we've, we've been talking, having lots of conversations and meetings with someone who works for um, a company that services the whole East Coast, and his um, his you know commissions are based on the accounts that he goes out and gets and he secures. So, it, you know, that was really good that you said that because we have really been, you know, picking his brain and getting lots of information from him to help us with that, you know, with that process of what, what should we be looking for. Um, because, like I said, Alan has some experience, but just with someone who's, you know, had, you know, 30 plus years in the industry and has been with this particular company for over 15 years, that that's pretty much, you know, the uh, the structure is he goes out and gets, you know, and gets the uh, clients and secures the sales for the entire um, East Coast. So, so uh, thank you for those um, nuggets. Sure. All right. Um, we are we're down to the last five minutes. You know, Tom and Marie, this always happens with you. We have so much fun on the call, <laughs> and then bang, the hours up, and it seems like ten minutes. Um, it's just great. Uh, so we have our last few questions. So, Nate, Robert, uh, Kevin. Uh, Michael, those that have asked some fewer questions, um, uh, it's your turn. I have a question for you all. Um, my name is Nate. I'm out of Utah. And uh, I was curious what uh, the competition looks like you know, when you're, I'm sure it varies by geography, but how does that look going out and uh, competing with other like similar companies? You know, it's it's interesting. We we're just talking about this with one of our uh, neighboring citywides. And, and even in, here in New Jersey, we're in central New Jersey. If you ask the North Jersey office who their competition is, very quickly they'd rattle out three other companies. But we've never been able to do that because we don't really run into the same companies too many times. There's nobody in our market that I can say, you know, we see it every bid situation or we're replacing. Um, the market is very fragmented for us. And again, that's so it gets back to your point about it is very localized. Because I even think about the guy, the family that runs the uh, Central Pennsylvania office. 
they say it's the same couple of people they run into all the time. They, they're either replacing or going up against them. But for us, it's it's a bit all over the place. I would say probably most of our competition is the smaller kind of mom and pop shops. I mean, we do hit some of the other bigger franchises here or there. Um, I think about the DeVitas, for example, um, Coverall had them locked lock down in our market. It took us what, like three three years before we even got one DeVita. Now we've got three, four, four, four of them now. Um, and, and now we've built a relationship with one of the regional directors. So he's actually encouraging people when they have problems to come talk to us, but it just took, it just took some time. Great, thank you. Hey, Tom and Marie, this is Mike, Mike Schulitz. Uh, yep. Out of uh, Connecticut, and um, I have a question for you. How do you? How did you find initially the bidding process work, and and what type of guidance do you get to come in on the bid, right? So how did you figure out what the right bids were, and then what was your percentage of winning those bids, and how has that evolved over, say, the last four or five years? Has it gotten better? Yeah. Now, when you say bids, do you mean proposals or do you mean like formal yeah proposals? Bids? Okay, yeah, price proposals. proposals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our I, just because I know off the top of my head, I know our sales exec his close ratio is about thirty three percent. So once you get into the right places, I mean, you've got a good shot at getting them. But um, the the trick is, and it took us a while, is to get more focused about disqualifying accounts. Because in the beginning, you spend a lot of time in uh, with the wrong companies because you just don't know better. But now we're we're very selective about who who we do business with. I mean, you know, I I like to joke that you know we don't do business with a holes. But um, I mean, it we can almost enshrine that in the wall because if uh, our sales team walks into a place and you see people, all they care about is price. You see how they treat their people. You see their office environment. We'll look at that and say this is just going to be nothing but a problem. We'll walk away from that. Hey, thanks. That, that, and, and how's it evolved? Have you gotten better and better at it? You feel like you're yes. getting a lot higher degree of certainty? Yeah, de definitely. Um, definitely. And that one of the, the things that we wanted to focus on is I, I feel like we've gotten good at identifying who really is our target client in our market. Um, the bigger issue for us is just seeing more people. And that's one of the reasons why we moved Marie over onto the sell side, just to put, you know, and again, it's just, you have to balance your talents. I, I can do sales fine, but it's not my favorite thing. In fact, if I go out in a sales appointment with our sales executive, he usually leads it off. He does all the small talk, the relationship building. When we get to the problem solving, that's where I'm good at. Once you explain to me what your problem is, I can tell you how we structure a solution around it. But that other soft and feely stuff, I mean, definitely that's more of a Marie as well. So that's why we moved her over into the, the sales end. And, and then following that up, and I, someone might have another question, so this will be my last one. How do you think about the next time you have to hire someone? Like, so obviously you move to a point, you got a lot of volume either in accounts or you need to bring in more sales. Where are you making that decision? Okay, now I need to bring another person in. I, I got to add the next person. <laughs> It's it's funny you should say that. Well, actually, there there is a it comes two ways. There's a, a recommended staffing levels you should have as you reach different points of contract revenue, some of which you're obligated in your franchise agreement to maintain. You know, X number of salespeople when you're at X point in your citywide lifespan. Um, you know, it's in terms of like hiring your facilities managers, you're going to do that at certain points when you hit certain levels of contract revenue. Um, we found that the points at which Citywide recommends it, you know, one of the uh, other offices has said to me a long time ago that usually by the time you get to that point, you're already in pain. So if you can afford it, you should probably get them in a bit earlier. Um, so, you know, we're, we're like I said, we have a, a facilities management position we're backfilling right now. And we've already planned based on our growth the mid-year we'll be adding another one. And if we grow a little faster, possibly sooner. All right, Tom, thank you. Marie, thank you. Um, we are past the witching hour. We're 401. 
So um, I want to thank everybody for attending. Um, and we'll see everybody uh, next week with another franchisor. And uh, again, Tom, Marie, thank you uh, for your time. You're, you're always great. And your story is always added to the, with the next year, man. It, every year there's something new and greater going on. And that's just super exciting. Our pleasure. See y'all. Thank you. Good to see you, Tom. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.